My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to part two, where we're going to talk even more about generalized anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder and kind of the overlap between the two, the confusions, the differences, the similarities. Uh, This is a really great chance. So if this is your first episode that you're listening to, you're going to want to make sure that you go back and listen to episode 78, which is right before this episode. Um, It's part one of this discussion. That's really where I'm laying the foundation for a lot of these concepts and building my case essentially for why I believe that worrying and obsessing are one and the same. I really don't believe that there's a meaningful or functional difference when we get down to, you know, bare bones when it comes to these disorders. So even though they are categorically different, they are, according to the diagnostical, diagnostic and statistical manual, they are understood kind of as separate entities. I make a case for why I don't believe that that's the case. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. Here, we're going to talk about all about treatment and kind of some bigger, more abstract concepts as it relates to this discussion. So hopping into it, I believe I said in the first episode that I was kind of like in the shadows with this opinion for a long time. And then Uh, When I kind of finally got the courage to speak out about it more, when I heard some other people echoing the same confusion from the field, uh, I then got a little bit more courageous and a little bit more confident in my ability to delve into these differences a little bit more. So um, in my discussions with other professionals who are well vetted in exposure and response prevention, who are definitely trusted sources from this standpoint. I talked to them about it and I got some really amazing insights from them. So I've I've spoken to them. I've gotten their permission to kind of use these quotes. Um, and even in my pursuing of their permission to use their insights, um, they even further identified that, yep, go ahead and use it. I still feel the exact same way. I feel really strongly about it. And guys, I just would not be surprised if this is the direction that the field goes. I think we're going there. So First quote, first insight that I have is from Paula Yanes Lucan, and they go on to say, worry acts like a compulsion that ultimately is preventing the person from facing their fear. I treat generalized anxiety disorder and OCD similarly, but the way I distinguish them is basically slightly better distress tolerance in generalized anxiety disorder and more creativity in OCD, such that the obsessions in OCD have gone to a more extreme flavor. So end quote there from Paula Yanes Lucan. And my take on this, I definitely agree. 
you know, they're kind of saying exactly what I'm saying, right? Uh, that, you know, we can treat these the same. And instead of identifying them as two categorically different entities, they should really be witnessed as more of like on a dimension of sorts. Um, what that dimension is or what those dimensions should be, I think deserves a little bit more research, a little bit more uh, kind of it, just more insightful conversations need to be taking place. But ultimately what we're suggesting here is that one of those spectrums could certainly be distress tolerance, right? So, you know, and I'm making complete generalizations. There are always exceptions that come to mind. Um, and so this is not like a blanket statement. There's always going to be some of these cases that come up that like contradict exactly what I'm saying. Um, but for the most part, like the, the typical person who kind of comes to mind with generalized anxiety disorder, and this is, I believe, what Paula is saying as well. When we think about generalized anxiety disorder, we are, for the most part, you know, seeing someone who has a little bit better distress tolerance, right? Like they're able to kind of go to work a little bit better. Um, this generalized anxiety is kind of this rolling storm in the background. Um, in my last episode, I believe I made the distinction in my view, for the most part, again, not a 100% case scenario type of situation. GAD to me is more of this like rolling thunder in the background, this like consistent kind of storm in the background. It's there, but it's not like this pressing, pressing, pressing urge right away right now. Whereas OCD is kind of this like slap of thunder, like this crack of thunder. It can be really sudden. It can be really extreme. Um, and so here we're seeing maybe one of those dimensions too is just more distress tolerance for GAD lower distress tolerance for obsessive compulsive disorder. And when we think about distress tolerance, what we're saying is kind of your ability to handle uncomfortable emotions, your subjective ability to handle difficult situations and be able to move on with your day, to be able to move forward with that and kind of be able to put that on the back burner to some degree to be able to move forward with what it is that you need to do. Now, this is not an indication that, um, some people with OCD can't have good distress tolerance. It's not an indication that people with generalized anxiety disorder can't have bad distress tolerance, right? So, um, you know, like I said, I can definitely see exceptions in any case. Um, similar to a potential dimension being creativity, where we see that OCD perhaps maybe for the most part has a little bit more of a creative flair, right? Um, generalized anxiety disorder, even in the diagnostic criteria, are about more realistic, kind of down-to-earth concerns, like something bad happening to your family or your loved ones, health concerns, finances, um, kind of these day-to-day -day things like work, functioning at school, so on and so forth. Whereas in OCD, it might be as creative as, you know, I have to jump three times before I walk through the doorway or someone's going to die. Um, so we can see in, in terms of that dimension, we can see that the OCD has the potential or the propensity to kind of be a little bit more creative in nature where it's not as logically uh, making sense, where it's certainly not as down to earth. It's kind of out there. Um, but OCD, one exception that comes to mind is kind of how we can certainly see people who have OCD with more realistic things like relationships and their sexual orientation and, you know school, work, other things like that. So when I think of these dimensions, they do make sense, but I'm always also keeping in mind that there are definitely exceptions. So when it comes to what Paula Gaines Lucan said, 100% agree that we, you know, need to 
understand that worry acts as a compulsion that is ultimately, again, preventing that person from facing their fear. It puts them in this avoidance stance where they're not taking action, where they're not productively or functionally interacting with their environment in a way that, you know, contributes to their functioning, um, you know, and, and we treat them similarly. So there are two potential dimensions where we could identify these things. One is potentially their level of distress tolerance. Another one might be more creativity and OCD versus kind of more realistic or more down-to-earth fears and generalized anxiety disorder, but there are definitely exceptions. The second quote or piece of insight that I hear is from Mike Hetty, um, one of my faves. Don't know if he listens to this, but we went to the same school. We went to the same college um, or grad school, I should say, and I doubt he will ever hear this, but he's wonderful. Um, so Mike says, I think it's a distinction without a meaningful difference. The function is the same. And so even it's just a, even though it's really just a small kind of short statement, it packs a punch. And that's what I told him in my email when I was discussing, um, kind of the purpose of using this quote, you know, it's small and it's short, but it packs a punch and it's pretty much exactly what it is that I want to drive home here. That GAD versus OCD worry versus obsessions, safety behaviors versus rituals or compulsions. There's no meaningful difference. It's a distinction that's there that doesn't really make sense. There's not a functional difference there. And the function of these disorders, the function of the behaviors in the disorders are exactly the same. So thank you to Mike for that. Um, And then the last insight that I'll share here, the last kind of piece of expert advice that I got was from one of the pioneers in the OCD field, Jonathan Abramowitz, just a total expert in the field. And it was great to, you know, not only hear his thoughts about this, but also kind of be able to continue that conversation and hear again that that's still how he feels. And he feels really strongly about this, just like I do. So Jonathan Abramowitz goes on to say, I don't think it's much about the diagnosis. For me, it's all based on a functional analysis of what it seems like I want the client to learn so they can not so they can be only as anxious as the facts warrant. Isn't this the same for folks given the diagnosis of OCD minus the worrying as a safety behavior? Isn't this the same for folks to give a diagnosis of what we call anxiety and related disorders? End quote by Jonathan Abramowitz once again. So I think again, this is to just pick this apart. Again, he's saying that it's not much about the diagnosis, about whether we're slapping that label on someone where it's GAD versus OCD. It's all in the function of why are they doing what they're doing? What are some of the core fears there? What are some of the other ways that they are behaving in such a way that inhibits them from being able to live a rich and full life? Uh, And what do we want them to learn? Whether it's someone who has GAD or someone who has OCD or however it's presenting, We want those individuals to learn that they only need to be as anxious as the facts warrant. And again, that's kind of a gray area. What do the facts warrant? And so when it comes to treatment, my go-to is what I want people to learn. Again, regardless of the content, regardless of how they're presenting to treatment, if it's anxiety or stress or uncomfortableness or whatever it is that they're struggling with in an anxiety sense, what I want them to learn are kind of a bullet list of the follows, of what follows here. Uh, I want them to learn that what they're fearful of isn't as probable as they think, right? So let's say that someone, again, back to my example, I need to jump three times just right before I walk through the door. Otherwise, my mom is going to die. I need them to learn 
that mom dying, especially as it is connected to you jumping before you go through the door, that that's not as probable as you think. OCD, you know, and I'll include this in my psychoeducation about the different kind of cognitive errors that OCD or generalized anxiety disorder can have you kind of experience. You know, these anxiety disorders are going to have you over predict and have this probability overestimation of bad things happening. And so via exposures, via behavioral experiments, by changing your frame of reference for how you approach anxiety, so on and so forth, I want people to know that their feared situation, whatever it is, is not as probable as their anxiety disorder is making them believe. The second thing that I want them to learn is that this feared situation or situations are not as catastrophic as they think that it's going to be, right? So another example, Um, let's say that someone with postpartum OCD is struggling because they're really afraid of being alone with their baby. Uh, they're really afraid that, you know, something horrific is going to happen, you know, and I'm not going to be able to handle it, so on and so forth. Maybe something bad does eventually happen while you're alone with your baby, but it's not as catastrophic as you think. Maybe it's not as catastrophic as them, you know, breaking an arm or breaking several limbs or being, you know, debilitated in some way. Maybe they stub their toe, you know, maybe they miss their nap and have a really awful tantrum and you are experiencing that discomfort and how to kind of manage that discomfort and that anxiety provoking situation. You know, it's not as necessarily catastrophic as your OCD or your anxiety would want you to believe. So that's another cognitive error that via behavioral exposures or via behavioral experiments that we want people to try to be able to correct. Um, I also want them to learn, regardless of whether it's GAD or whether it's OCD, that they're behaviors, their rituals or their safety behaviors, however they are, you know, trying to negate this negative experience doesn't actually work for them. I want them to realize that, you know, jumping through the doorway three times is not actually, you know, helping my mom stay alive. I want them to learn that those things are not as connected and not as associated in their brain as their anxiety disorder is leading them to believe. Ultimately, also, I want them to learn that these uncomfortable situations, these uncomfortable physiological and mental experiences are not dangerous. I want them to learn that it's just uncomfortable. You know, when we experience these anxieties, when we experience these fears, our brain is reacting in such a way that we are in threat mode, right? By ritualizing and by avoiding, that's the message that we've been giving to our brains that this thing is dangerous, that this thing is awful, that you can't tolerate this thing, that if you don't do this ritual or this safety behavior, then something horrific is going to happen and it's dangerous and it's bad, it's an emergency. And so we're going into these anxiety-provoking situations believing that that's true and it's not. We need to understand that these are just uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to feel those physiological sensations of panic. It's uncomfortable to be in an anxiety-provoking situation and to be battling with indecision or whatever it is, but it's not dangerous, okay? It's not dangerous. We need people to understand that. I've often said that one of my favorite go-to self-care routines is to get my nails done. But if you're like me, then you just can't justify salon prices or the harshness that these bring to your nails. Olive in June allows you to get the salon quality manicures and pedicures at home. You can easily go up to seven days without chipping, 
you don't have to leave the house and you can finally stop spending $35 or more every two weeks on getting them done. For $10 off your first order, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on deals. The last thing that comes to mind is something that I want people to know kind of as the result of this new frame of reference of challenging themselves, so on and so forth. Is that even if their worst care, worst uh, case scenario where their worst fear comes true, I want them to know that they can handle that, right? So sometimes in OCD treatment or in anxiety treatment, our fear comes true, right? Like our our loved ones die, our our kiddos, you know, something bad happens to our kiddos. We get in trouble at work. We get fired. We lose our jobs. Um, there's a, a, a legitimate catastrophic event. Uh, and we can't, I think that's kind of at the crux of treatment too, like that we aren't safe. We're not 100% safe, that no one is 100% safe from these awful, unexpected and kind of uncontrollable things happening every once in a while. And it just so happens that OCD or anxiety comes in and says, somehow, Jenna, if you do these rituals, if you do this and if you do this and if you, you know, never stay alone with your baby and if you always jump through the door three times before the door, you know, before you go through the door, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine and somehow you're protected, you're safe. And it gives us this completely false element of control in a world where we don't want to admit it, we don't want to go there, but we have to go there. We have to know that we don't have as much control as we think. And that's kind of at the the root of the treatment, right? Like we need to get to the point ourselves or, or for our clients or whatever you, whoever is listening, right? Like we need to get to the point where we can relinquish and kind of surrender to that notion that, wow, this is rooted in control. This is rooted in me wanting to be certain about uncertain things. This is me wanting to answer unanswerable questions. And no matter what happens, this horrible thing could still happen, right? And I want people to know not that I want their worst fears to come true, but if and when it happens, we need to deal with that. We need to build resilience. We need to build acceptance of that if and when that happens. Um, So some additional thoughts here. Um, One study that I did find, um, it was back in 2004, so I'm really curious for additional research to be done, Um, but Comer et al., 2004, a super nerd, you can uh, look it up or you can ask me for the resource, but one difference between generalized anxiety disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder appeared to be on, in adults. So, Uh, They did see that in generalized anxiety disorder, that exposure and response prevention was not as effective as it is for OCD. So we know that ERP is the gold standard treatment for obsessive compulsive disorder. I would argue that it's the gold standard treatment for all other anxiety-based disorders as well. Um, But in adults, we seem to be better able to distinguish whether someone has GAD versus OCD based on, you know, they respond to treatment a little bit differently. But in children and in adolescents, not so much. So when it comes to children and adolescents, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, according to this research, is just as effective or, or you know, just as effectively treated uh, as those who have OCD 
when it comes to the application of exposure and response prevention. In adults, though, it does seem to have a different treatment response. And I would argue that that has to do with insight. I would argue that that has, like, the difference there is not necessarily an, a, an, a testament to that these disorders are different. I think it comes down to in generalized anxiety disorder, sometimes we just don't, we just can't identify a trigger, right? So when it comes to generalized anxiety disorder, um, I think it's a little bit difficult sometimes for the therapist to identify like an actual trigger because the triggers and the anxiety source in general can be so generic. It can be so general, uh, for lack of a better word, versus with OCD, right? It can be as specific as um, I, when I drive around my neighborhood and I hit a pothole, I get this urge that I hit someone. So obviously the trigger is driving. The trigger more specifically is hitting things when you're driving. Um, And so we would go on to be able to create very specific exposures for that person. It would be much easier uh, to create a treatment plan and a specific fear hierarchy for someone who has those specific triggers versus someone who presents with more generalized anxiety and they're kind of just always worried about something bad happening. Um, So the better, what this means to me, my interpretation of this is that the more specific and the better able we are to identify triggers and therefore replicate effective exposures, I think the better treatment outcome we'll get. So we'll get a better treatment outcome when it comes to our ability to identify those triggers, to be able to do those functional analyses of, okay, this is where my anxiety came up. This was the trigger. This was my interpretation of that. These were the thoughts that came up after that. This is how I was engaging in rituals, how I was engaging in those safety behaviors. The function of those behaviors was this. I was afraid this was going to happen. And kind of that whole functional analysis. I think the better we're able to do that, even with generalized anxiety disorder cases, then we'll be able to create effective exposures. When we're able to create effective exposures, we're able to see a better treatment response. So I don't think that the, uh, I would argue, based on what I know, based on what I've read, based on my experience and the research, my interpretation is that GAD versus OCD is not necessarily that much different as far as the treatment approach. It differs as far as your ability to identify good triggers, because the ability to identify good triggers in one way or another, I think, depends on how effective the treatment can be. So I hope that makes sense. Some additional thoughts, you know, as we wrap up here, just some highlights that we've discussed in the past two episodes. I believe that generalized anxiety disorder and OCD can exist not as separate entities, but on a spectrum, whether that's the level of distress tolerance, whether that's how specific um, or creative the thought processes are, whether that's how general versus how specific the fears are. I don't know exactly what spectrum, but my just feeling is that they should be on a spectrum of some sort. They're not these categorically different entities. Um, It's also really common what we see in the research and what we see in our clinical practices too, is that it's really common for people who have kind of, you know, they, they present to treatment, they have OCD. It's really common for them to kind of have always met criteria for GAD as well. Um, it's it's really common for people when they have OCD or when they're seeking a diagnosis of OCD to kind of report like, yeah, I've, al- I've always been a little bit of a worrier. Like I've always been an anxious kid. I've always, you know, struggled with anxiety. So I think there's something to be said there too, that maybe 
generalized anxiety disorder is kind of that rolling storm. It's that rolling thunder, but then life happens, whether it's a traumatic event or a transition of some kind or whatever it could be. And then it's that lightning bolt, right? It's that lightning bolt. Um, but very rarely do we see that general, that, uh, you know, people who just have this kind of like random episode of OCD or kind of this random obsession and then compulsion that translates in and in, in gets into a disorder that they never struggled with anxiety before. Um, not that that can't happen, but it, it just is less common than the opposite. All in all, these disorders are uh, demonstrating similar cycling patterns. So we start first with kind of this worrisome thought or this intrusive thought, this thought that just sticks and, and bothers you to some degree. Misinterpretation of that thought leads to a lot of anxiety. That anxiety leads you to feel really uncomfortable, perhaps even in a dangerous position, leads you to feel like you need to do this compulsion or a safety-seeking behavior. And those compulsions or safety-seeking behaviors ultimately reinforce the thought, reinforce the anxiety, uh, leading you to feel like you need to do that again in the future. So I think OCD is just taking worry to kind of an absurd degree. And ultimately, these safety-seeking behaviors, you know, are becoming more repetitive. They become more intense. You, as you continue to do them, you increasingly are unable or unwilling to resist these safety behaviors or compulsions. You become more intolerant to things like uncertainty and general distress, so on and so forth, uh, to the point where it ultimately interferes with your ability to function. And hopefully when we get to the point where treatment is an option for people, I don't think that it should look that different for a generalized anxiety disorder versus obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, my thought at the end of the day is if, is if we can identify that rumination equals a compulsion, if we can identify that rumination is something that someone is choosing to do and that they are putting effort into and that it's a strategy to reduce anxiety, and if we can identify that worry equals rumination, I don't see kind of what the meaningful difference is at that point. They are me they are not meaningfully distinct at all. Um, again, the safety behaviors are functioning the same in generalized anxiety disorder as they do in obsessive compulsive disorder. I think it helps as a therapist to kind of look carefully at someone's history, kind of their past behaviors or worries. Um, I've often worked with people who are presenting where I think initially it's more generalized anxiety disorder, but then when we get into the history, turns out that they we're always worried about contamination and germs or, you know, food not being cooked well enough, or they were constantly worried about uh, kind of maybe more superstitious things as a child. Um, so that might help inform things as well. Uh, you know, worrying up, did they worry about being a different sexual orientation? Did they drive around the block to be sure they didn't run someone over? Because by the time a, a person presents as an adult, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a little bit tougher to differentiate between generalized anxiety disorder and OCD. But that's okay because the whole point here, you guys, is that at the end of the day, treatment is almost all the same. And that treatment, again, is going to be cognitive behavioral therapy that is focused on exposure and response prevention. Uh, and that's because we identify OCD, and I would argue also generalized anxiety disorder, as a two-part problem. So that would be obsessions and then compulsions. Uh, where exposure and response prevention comes in, we identify that as our two-part solution where we have the exposures and the response prevention. So we need the exposure, which is the challenging and anxiety-provoking situation, 
we also need the response prevention, right? Where we're having individuals resist or reduce doing compulsions or rituals or safety behaviors that someone would normally do before, during, and after a challenging event. Um, some small differences, um, you know, take them or leave them. But with generalized anxiety disorder, you might find uh, that your therapist or that as a therapist, it's more helpful to focus a tiny bit more on cognitive restructuring. Um, you know, where you kind of highlight these cognitive errors that are typical in the disorder, where you might collect evidence for what happened versus what didn't. I think that's really dangerous to do when it comes to obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> so be on the lookout for that. But the way that I think about it is when it comes to OCD, we kind of, we want to do like behavioral therapy, right? Like notice I whispered cognitive because we don't want to do a whole lot of it, but I tried to yell behavioral therapy because it's really behavioral. Um, and maybe for generalized anxiety disorder, some people might switch them where they do a lot more cognitive work, but a little bit uh, of the emphasis is left on behavioral work. Um, for OCD, like I said, we're going to focus a lot on the behavioral part. We identify that intrusive thoughts aren't the problem because we all have them. Rather, it's the compulsions. Uh, but in either case, we really just want to focus on eliminating the avoidance. So what are you doing to avoid uh, feeling this way? What are you avoiding because of your anxiety? And we want you to be better at approaching triggers. We want you to uh, get used to those triggers. We want you to get used to the anxiety-provoking experiences that accompany those triggers. We want you to eventually learn that you can cope with it, that you can handle it. And we want you to view these behavioral experiments as an opportunity for you to practice resisting your rituals. Um, so other things to keep in mind for the treatment for generalized anxiety disorder um, and also for maybe obsessive compulsive disorder as well. Although, again, with OCD, it's going to be very, very behavioral, much more behavioral. With generalized anxiety disorder, instead of seeing it called as exposures, you might see them called behavioral experiments. They're the exact same thing. Uh, you might address the cognitive distortions a little bit more. So you might just call them out. As a provider, I tend to just provide a lot of education about these potential, you know, cognitive distortions that the disorders can throw at you. In either case, you're going to focus on the tolerance of uncertainty. There might be some mindfulness training that's that's done uh, to try to just kind of reinstate that, you know, we need to come back to the moment, coming back to the moment. Uh, learning to address any positive beliefs that one has about worry or compulsions, right? Like this idea that if I worry, something good is going to, something bad is going to be prevented. If I worry, I'll be better able to be on guard about certain anxiety provoking things. And you can also complement either one of the treatment for these disorders uh, with other, you know, evidence-based practices as well. So acceptance and commitment therapy techniques uh, might be helpful to identify uh, skills like diffusion, uh, being able to kind of separate yourself from that thought, being able to also incorporate things like values, I think are both uh, really good educational strategies and really good interventions to use for generalized anxiety disorder and for OCD. So that's it on GAD versus OCD. I hope that this was helpful. Um, you know, there's a lot to kind of unpack here, so wouldn't be surprised if there was one day a part three. Uh, my hope for all of you is that you just recognize more so the big picture concepts, that you're um, really just taking a step back and looking at the function of these behaviors 
and how they all kind of transpire in, in your life or someone else's life rather than kind of getting caught up in semantics. Um, uh, stay tuned for the next episode and I will see you then. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.